a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this very special episode, guys, we have Carla Blaha coming by to hang out with us to talk about all of the cool things. Now, Carla is a third-generation intuitive. She is absolutely fascinating and super cool, so you're absolutely going to love her anyhow. But some of the things that we cover include her near shared near-death experience with her mom, um, her not one, not two, not three, but four missing time events that are verifiable from witnesses. Also, uh, her special spoon bending and some commonalities between spirit both on a macro and micro level and this is just a phenomenal conversation um all of the ways of course to find her guys are going to be located down in the show notes while you're down there uh check out some of our resource links as well so we have food forest abundance we have libsyn if you'd like to start your own podcast Amazon. If you're going to buy any damn thing at all on that, feed that beast through our link. It helps the show. As well as Opus, uh, the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support. They are a phenomenal resource and highly encourage anyone uh, that feels drawn to do that to go ahead and contact them, guys. And at least go check the website out. It's located down below. Okay, so while you're doing all that cool stuff, guys, check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where you can find all of the socials, all of the lives are replayed, Too Hot for YouTube. You can find all of the ways to help and donate to the show. If you'd like to contribute some 3D energy to this bad boy, I think there's a few different levels on that, so check that out for sure. There's extra content over there, all of the collaborations. It's a cool resource for everything, so check that thing out, guys. Um, Also, some big changes on the show that are going to be announced soon, but just stay tuned for all of that and uh before we get to any of that kind of stuff i just want to tell you all how much i appreciate you listening and reaching out and being so damn sweet you you guys are just a phenomenal audience if you've been listening for a long time and you followed this journey from its inception or even a little bit after that or if you're a new listener just wanted to let you know how grateful i am that you're here so without any further ado let's get to this incredible conversation with carla blaha All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the show. We have Carla Blaha hanging out with us. Now, you are a psychic medium. You are fantastic. I had you on the first co-collective creative ever, which is huge. That was a big deal for me, and I'm grateful that you were a part of it. For my audience that doesn't know you too well, do you mind just introducing yourself and just tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Well, thanks, Brandon. Very happy to be here. Uh, My name is Carla Blaha. I'm an evidential medium. I am a mentor and a coach. I have connected to spirit people for decades, and this is what I do. It is what you do, third generation intuitive. Do you mind telling us about that? Yeah, my I'm the only one that actually did it. My grandmother, who I was thinking about this morning before this, um, she was born in 1909, so I have a feeling her abilities were probably what was part of her demise in her life. But she was able to read cards and know things, apparently, and we did not come from a culture where that was popular. She was from Vermont. I mean, it was just not a thing. 
Um, but that was the rumors and I had seen her read cards and my mom chose not to go the route. Um, she went into astrology and just had an interest. And she would always say when I was little oh, that Carla's just like my mother, Carla's just like my mother, but she died by grandmother when I was 11. So I didn't get to glean any information from her other than observation. It's interesting. It's kind of like in you cellularly or genetically, and you pulled it out later on, uh, disconnected from the teachings uh, that would probably have fast forwarded you in this uh, by your grandmother. That's very interesting. So you just stumbled upon this. Like, What was your first inclination that this was something that you had the ability to, to do? I don't remember. Well, connecting to dead people, because I'm very blunt and just call it that and people get upset, but connecting to spirit happened much later in life. The intuition and the knowing things, I don't remember not knowing. I mean, my parents used to tell a story of when I was four years old that something had happened and they would tell the story that I knew something about a building that remodeled and I got upset. And I told them the stairs used to be here and at four, I pitched a fit. They asked the man, it was a restaurant, asked the manager and the manager was blown away because in the original plans, there was a staircase there. So they always talked about me being like my grandma. Excuse me. <coughs> At eight, I saw our neighbor gardening until I realized our neighbor was dead. Now, I don't see spirit people. It's happened three times. And it's ironic because she was actually like Liz Taylor's um, stepped, um, stepdaughter-in-law like her. It was the coolest like connection. And I just thought, oh, you know, Mrs. Todd is gardening until I realized she was dead. And I shot down at eight years old down my street, running up my hill, telling my mother I saw Mrs. Todd. My mother's face dropped and said to her friend, she's just like my mother. So that I remember at eight. You know, it's so interesting because um, I we we you know talk about all kinds of stuff here, and whenever you talk about like ghosts or spirits, you know, and time slips and things like that, that because you have some missing time, I'd like to talk to you about. But I, I'm curious that do you think that when you're seeing like like your neighbor gardening, do you think that you were seeing a dead person gardening in the same lawn at the same time we occupy now, or do you think that you were catching some sort of time loop, some sort of slip in reality? I've never thought of it that way, though. I think about those time loops all the time. As a little girl, I thought I was seeing spirit in front of me, you know, uh, that and that scared the hell out of me. And I, I literally ran. But now knowing a little bit more about timelines and things like that, very possible that could have been it. It's wild to me that there are these kind of like replays, you know, that go on um, these loops, you know, these time loops. And you hear this about like uh, the Civil War, um, you know, areas like Gettysburg. I know that a mm -hmm. lot of ghost activity happened there, but people feel that it's just some sort of loop or residue from something very energetic that happened. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's well, I'm pretty expanded in my reality. So I do feel that it, you're either kidding it because time isn't linear, as we know. So it's either a loop that's happening or occasional just think it's happening all at one time. So it's not the same thing replaying necessarily. It's just stepping in and out of something that's maybe not all the time, but individual, if that makes any sense. I don't know. I don't think we're going to know, but maybe we're actually saying the same thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
No, it make, it makes complete sense, and it's just really interesting that you you know because I kind of look at the spirit world in two different ways. Now now that uh, now that this is on my mind, that it's one could be an artifact of just a very uh, heavy, dense emotional energy or energetic type of a thing where it's a loop, and you kind of get some imprints or a stamp on it, and and or like my second way of looking at it, it's like the way that you articulate it is with uh, dead people. I love that you put it that way. You're just like, and they're dead, so that's that's what I'm going to call it. So. Um, with this like difference in this, um, it, it's kind of tricky for me whenever I look at this to say, okay, that's a conscious thing that you can interact with, or that's a replay of something that's already happened, but even that has some replay interaction to it. Have you ever heard those stories of like the the one about the the three boys I believe that walked into their uh, grandmother's house uh, and they saw a ghost sitting in their grandmother's chair, freaked out and ran out of the room. Well, their grandmother uh, told the story about how one day she was sitting on the couch watching TV and then uh, three ghosts walked in the room. And so it's this time loop stamp thing to where one saw the other in their own reality. It's this kind of thing is fascinating to me because they recognized each other. There was a there was a recognition there and one thought the other was a ghost, but really it was like this self-fulfilling prophecy loop kind of a thing. Those are wild. Have you ever encountered anything like that or heard of it? I have, but I don't know if it's exactly the same thing. And, you know, um, my husband laughs at me when I tell the story, but I, and in my twenties thought I had met myself. Now I was not a professional reader. I was in my twenties. I was in Los Angeles. Yes, I had the vibe and everybody knew, go to Carla. She has the vibe. I asked Carla about, you know, XY's boyfriend, you know, that kind of a thing. I had no preconceived notion or knowledge of timelines, meeting yourself, nothing. And I was in California and my mother, you know, went out with a bunch of people and came back and was very excited that she had met the actress Joan Caulfield, who I had never heard of. I said, Joan Crawford. She's like, no, Joan Caulfield. She was in this movie, this movie. So she met her and she's like, we're going out to dinner with her tomorrow. So I'm, she walked into the lobby of our hotel. And the minute I saw her, I knew I was looking at me. Now, at 21 or 22, I'm like, okay, am I having some breakdown here? Why would I be an old celebrity? I mean, it was, it was nuts. And she made me nervous because everything she said, I could anticipate. And she was you know, in her 60s, which, of course, seemed old to me at the time. And it was weird. We went out to lunch. I went into the restroom. I was the Bel Air Hotel. I will not forget this. She said, can I come with you? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And she said, I know you're going to think it's weird, but I feel like I know you. And I don't know why, but I feel like I know everything about you. And that blew me away. So to this day, I can't figure out why on earth that happened. You know, I've heard of this thing to where uh, if we have multiple lives and all of that, you you know, and that time is not linear, which we've already discussed, but th- this idea of you entering this plane of existence in different forms and different bodies throughout time is interesting, but you you trump this idea by this overlap. Have you heard of this, this overlap thing? Like you come in as a soul in 1901, but you didn't die till um, 1989 or something like that to where it was, there's like this, or 1889 to where there was this like overlap. I've heard that. I'm not an expert at it, but I do think, or would that maybe go into parallel universes, maybe? That's interesting. Because I was thinking maybe this was a parallel and this was me meeting myself. And again, I wasn't a medium. I was just a college student. I mean, not doing drugs. This was not like an induced thing. 
it was, I could never, I can't explain it to this minute on how it happened. So I just figured, I just met myself. What do you think about that idea that you are like, let's say for instance, that you come in and every other generation is you. So you come in as your grandmother in one life and then, you know, she passed when you were 11. So you had 11 years basically with yourself and then you continue on. And then perhaps, you know, your great grandkids or your grandkids rather would be sort of similar. Another you uh, to then keep training and teaching yourself. It's like these authors that come up and say, I'm an author. I was inspired by Hemingway. Well, maybe you were Hemingway in one of your past lives. And that's the only damn reason you were an author in this one. Do you think that it goes that deep? I never thought about keep going into the same familial lineage, like you said initially. I do think you can certainly come back and have connection to someone else like Ernest Hemingway. And you might have been them, but I've never um, considered or heard about coming back in your own familial lineage as somebody else. Yeah, I haven't either. I don't even know if it'd be an efficient way to kind of navigate this place like if if we're here for these specific things and you would perhaps want to infer on the other side that okay well if i stay in the family lineage with the genes i picked i picked my parents i picked my situation right and i come into this thing well then maybe i can see it through and then i can be my own grandparent and then you know train myself uh for the things that i need you know I mean, whenever I think of like secret societies and these uh, bloodline lineages and stuff like that, that's what I think of. I think of entities reincarnating into the same bloodline to kind of keep this whatever they've got going, going. What do you think about that? That would be the first time I've heard of it. And that's interesting to me because I'm all about the secret society thing, too. So I'm, again, expanded. I just am. I'm that's food for thought. It's just so interesting. Um, to, and the, the mind just goes. Like I, Anytime I get with somebody like you, I just ask a bunch of just crazy questions that have been on my mind that I don't get to ask everybody else. So um, tell, tell me about your missing time, if you don't mind. I'm so interested in the concept of missing time. Yeah, it's happened to me, to my knowledge, because I bet it happens more than we think. But I actually had it happen four times, and all four times were completely documented. I wasn't just me. So if it's just me losing time, I have no one to document it. I won't know that it's been lost necessarily. But I have to pick, I think the the story that I'll pick is the first one because that was the most profound. I was driving to the um, to Virginia and I was I would always pass this specific bridge, call a friend, and she was going to meet me at her condo. I'd say, uh, synchronizing our watches, you know, it's like the old days. What time do you have? You know, three o'clock. Okay, I'll leave in 30 minutes. I'll meet you at the condo. So we jokingly did it. And it was at this one, we called it the Millie Bridge, this one Mildred somebody bridge. <laughs> and we did it. I got to her condo. I The phones back then were in shoeboxes, the cell phones. Okay. <laughs> so I, I did not bring my cell phone shoebox into her condo. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And she didn't show up. And I went to, um, there was a front desk, almost like a hotel. I said, can I use your phone? I called her and I said, I've been here like 45 minutes, give or take. And she's like, what? I said, were you held up? I'm sitting in your lobby. And she said something to the effect like you couldn't have because you you called me at such and such a time. Look at your watch. And I hadn't looked at my watch and I looked and I couldn't have made it there because I was something like, I forget what it is now, half an hour. No, it was more like an hour away. And then I waited 45 minutes. So it's an hour and 45 minutes. And it had been 20 minutes. How did I get there? And the, the, the man at the front desk, actually, she thought I was kidding. He had to say, no, she's this lady's till I was a girl. So she's sitting there, you know, 
all this time. I have no explanation for that to this day. You know, okay. Well, I mean, I have so many damn questions about this. Do you mind telling us about the second time that it happened? The second time, which isn't nearly as exciting, but it's validating. I was with my husband and two of my children on the same darn bridge. And I told the story. I was like, this is the bridge that it happened, blah, blah, blah. So they heard, my kids were little, they heard me, my husband's okay. At the time, the navvies were on the dashboard. You could buy one and stick it on the dashboard. So he plugged in where we were going. And I didn't pay attention. And we got there in something like 25 minutes, which was supposed to be an hour and 15. And it wasn't traffic. And it happened again on the same bridge with my husband and kids. And he just looked at me like, I don't know what to say. How uh, much later was this in life? I was trying to think about that. One was in the 80s. Uh, No, one was in the 90s. Uh, 10 years, at least 10, 12 years. You know, what's interesting too is that now I'm I'm just curious because the location is what's significant on this. Uh, Have you had a third experience of missing time? I tried. Yes, but I did try that bridge. By the way, I was over that bridge going down to D.C. in March. And I'm like, this is the bridge. And of course, I'm focused on it. I'm like, all right, I say to my husband, let's see what happens. Nothing happened. Okay, I did try that. And again, the, the third time was actually really weird, too. Well, they're all weird. I was driving because I was a platform medium. And I was driving to do a group at, at a, a location. I had done this location before. I knew how long it took. And I would always call the owner of the, the business to say, I'm here. My navvy says it's going to take me this long to get there. She's like, yep, okay. I said, I'll be there early. I'll be parked in the back. Um, No, I'm sorry. I said, I'll be there late. Um, Can you hold them off? That was it. She said, yes. I get there. I sit in the car. Look at the clock. Doesn't register to me what time it is. I just know I'm like a half an hour early. I'm sitting in the car and I'm like, I better call her to see if I could come in. She's like, where are you? I said, I've been sitting in the back of the building for half an hour. She said, you can't. You can't be. And I said, what do you mean? And again, I hadn't really looked and registered in my brain. I had somehow gotten somewhere that should have taken over an hour in no time. And I was parked. And she, to this day, is stunned that it happened because she had her people there waiting. And I was early instead of late. It's just so fascinating to me because now I'm thinking, uh, you know, uh, different locations with the same one. I was thinking, oh, it's over a ley line. And, you know, when you think bridges, you think water and then water, you know, is very uh, conductive emotionally and all of those things. So water ties into some of the high strangeness uh, phenomena. But, you know, missing time in general, I'm, I'm super curious about just because of the fact that the artifact that missing time exists exists like let's say for instance that this had something to do with uh non-human intelligence contact like an abduction let's say for instance do you have any inkling or feeling that it could have something to do with that when it pertains to the things that you've experienced not for me that i've noticed i have another one that i thought was a little weird but in this these particular instances and even the fourth one um no for these i don't think so yeah, because you hear about the missing time phenomena really when it's associated with uh, non-human intelligences or the abduction phenomena. People will say, oh, I was driving down the road, I saw a bright flash of light, something really odd, and then I had, you know, an hour of missing time. Or in the case of like Flight 19, you know, where all of those pilots went missing over the Bermuda Triangle and they were looking down at, you know, the compasses were going nuts. And, you know, again, this could be some uh, location type of a thing or an extraterrestrial type phenomena. But the fact that it exists is so interesting to me. 
do, do you think that it has anything to do with how subjective time is to each one of us? I bet it is. I bet there's something to that because we, we think in a certain lane. And if that's how we think, that's how it will occur, possibly. I think that's certainly valid. Yeah, and I, I think um, it's just interesting, too, because, you know, you can uh, anyone can agree with the subjectivity of time. Uh, you can think of when you're at work, you know, your job or whatever, and time just drags. But the same amount of time on the weekend flies by. And it's just because you're in your vibe, you're, you're doing something different. And so it is relative based on how you feel or your activity. So just the subjectivity of time is something that's very interesting to me that I've been kind of looking at a lot lately. Um what was the fourth time like? Now I'm just curious, if you don't mind. It was in, and again, I wasn't aware of it because it happened later. I was flying to Florida in an air, I was in an airplane, so possibly over some water or maybe not, but a little bit. And I contacted a friend who was picking me up at the airport. I said, we're taking off now. So I texted her as we were taking off. I know how long it takes to get there. I mean, you can't just miss, you know, 20 minutes here and there a plane. You cannot be like an hour early. So I got there got my luggage, waited outside again. She's not showing up. I'm like, where is she? She's supposed to be here. So I wait. I let, I'm, I'm, kind, I'm very actually kind of patient. I'm, I, was, I don't care. I'm in Florida. I'm going to sit outside and just enjoy this. Finally, I called her. I was like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, where, where are you? I go, I'm sitting outside the airport. She's like, what? She's like, do you know what time it is? It was the same thing. I said, I've been out here X amount of time. I got my luggage. It's been a long time. She looked at me, but she's known me since I was three or four. And, you know, she said, if I had a hundred dollar bill for every time you said this crazy thing happened to me, she's like, I'd be a millionaire. So she just looked at me and said, I have nothing to say. And we just moved on. There was no explanation. I didn't know time loss. I thought I got off the plane, got my luggage. You can't do that a whole hour. They didn't say, oh, we landed an hour early or whatever it was. And that wasn't that long ago. That was about two years ago. Yeah, because that's a hell of a tailwind. You know, I mean, yeah, like we, it went right. we we drive to Houston all the time and my dad and I make long trips. And so we'll kind of go, oh, I made it in four hours, you know, oh, I made it in three and a half, you know, kind of a thing. We're always beating our time. Right. Uh, but that that is something that the pilot would pretty much brag about forever. I made it an hour early. Yeah, yeah it, it was nuts. It's so nuts. And it, it's also interesting, just to your point, that your, all of yours have been validated. They've been something to where somebody was expecting you at a certain time. You got uh, a claim that it was ridiculous that you were where you were in the amount of time that it went by. And so it is interesting that all of them also have been validated, like you said, by somebody else. Just very cool. I don't know. The, the missing time thing is so interesting to me. I, I think it's one of those huge puzzle pieces that's here to make us ask questions. It's it's one of the things that kind of leads us into that something else is going on here. And it's because it's so tangible. It's something so noticeable in your experience, right? I think it happens to a lot more people than what, what probably happens to us and we don't know, as I said. But I think there's a lot more on this that people know and maybe don't talk about. Or I, I just I just know that there is, there has to be. I, I completely agree. Uh, and it's just so interesting, but conversations like this and stories like yours are helping us break that apart. So um, let's talk about you're a psychic medium. So let's talk about what, what got you into mediumship. Well, there, there's a story there. I'll give you that. <laughs> I Well, I started out um, reading intuitively in 1993, but I was a school teacher. So I just did the intuitive readings on the side because I was just like my grandmother and I did all that tarot training and I did all that, but it was not Back then, you didn't go to college for that. So, Carly, you have to go to get a college degree. Now you have to get a master's degree. You got to get a real job. So I did all that. And then 
fast forward as the universe does hit you upside the head to stop you um to cut to the chase somebody died in front of me um an old friend had come back into my life to deal with you know a lot of baggage that was you know not not finished you know 25 years before and she actually took her last breath in front of me and I saw her first of all I saw her come out of her body in clairvoyantly in the hospital room and tell me to be quiet I was talking too much so I kind of wrote that off to I'm sleep deprived. I'm traumatized by watching someone die who I haven't seen in 25 years, but in the past couple of months, like, why am I here? And I thought I am gabbing a lot. I was nervous. And I, I shut up, told it to across over just like all my training, because I had read about medium study, done everything, but never thought I was one. And then when I said to her, you can go, and she went through all the process of looking to the side, seeing people, the whole thing you read about, it was crazy. She passes. I, she also rose up again. I had to cross her over again. It was traumatic. But then I, yeah, it was bad. I had to push it. It was bad. And then I heard in my head, you're now a medium. And I again thought, I'm sleep deprived. I'm under deep stress here. I'm traumatized. A friend calls at that moment and is like, how are you? I'm like, she just died in front of me. And I said, can I have the name of your therapist? It's within one breath. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly over the edge. And, and that from that moment, a week later, I had met a medium, like at a store and written a book. I started studying. And within a very few months, I went in a group and I started to become a group medium. And then I just continued to study. I mean, someone had to you know, huff and puff and blow my ass down to get me. And that's what happened. My God, what an interesting story. Uh, what was, okay. So after this initial first time, what was the second time? Like after you were walking into this with more knowing and awareness, meaning the second time that you helped someone cross over or invoked yourself in mediumship. Well, the, the one, that first one was the one that made me the medium. And then I studied and learned and continued to do me. That made me a medium. I didn't cross somebody over get into my mom only three years ago. So I crossed her twice, meaning she literally died, took her last breath, was dead, and then fought it and rose up, sat up, and I had to actually push her down. Until, and she was six feet tall. This was not a petite individual. Push her back down and tell the police, go, you have to go. That was traumatic. I'm telling you, I thought the whole thing was me just having a breakdown. So this was someone that passed away in front of you. You crossed her over. She then came back into her body and the body physically I sat up. I watched it. I watched it. it I, I, in fact, I, it's a great question because I wouldn't have thought to add this part in. She crossed over, or I thought, took her breath, saw people, took her breath, and then her heart stopped. I watched her breathing. And then I kind of fell over the side of the bed and started to cry because I hadn't cried before that. You're in full action mode. I heard a moan and a weird thing. And I guess because it's a show, I can easily share this. I looked over and I watched her almost as if something I didn't recognize was inside her coming from the inside out. And it looked like a horror movie, her face distorted. It was scary to me, which made me sad. And it distorted and as if something was pushing out of her that did not look pleasant. And then I took her. And I grabbed her by the shoulders as she started to sit up and I pushed her down. I said, like the movies go into the light, you know, and I, she was a Buddhist. So I didn't, you know, I didn't say, go see Jesus, go see a saint. You know, I, I just said, go into the light and find those you love. And then she was dead. Oh my God. 
Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> Do you think it's possible that a walk-in stepped in in that moment when she, when her soul left? Then do you think that the, uh, there's kind of a window of time where something else can slip in and, and reanimate the body, let's say? What I saw, and I had no experience in this. Again, I wasn't a medium. I was an intuitive and had stopped to raise children. What I saw did not look positive. I did not. And I will say she had a bit of a tortured life. Um, she was dying due to alcoholism and liver failure. Um, she, I hadn't seen her in 25 years, but her life was hard. And I don't know what went on in 25 years or what you know negative vibration she held. A beautiful soul as a human when we were kids. But what I saw is something I would prefer not to. I saw it one other time. I kind of saw it with my mother. Um, but it's like you don't want to see it. It's, it's like freaky, freaky for even me. Okay. Yeah. And and you think you know the alcohol is an interesting component that uh, that's it's an added description to the to the story here because you think about you know like these negative entity attachments and I'm not sure you know your feeling on that I've, I kind of go one way or another with it but uh, it's just kind of interesting you know because uh, people talk about that if you're an alcoholic you know uh, you know spirit you know the word spirits comes from that that there's something that latches onto you and it's a very low vibe thing and we know this. You know, in society, if it's praised in society, it's probably the opposite of what you should be doing. And we know how glorified alcohol is in our culture. And so when you look at this through the lens of like the control systems here that may be wanting to apprehend you in some way or, you know, um, attach these entities to you or feed off of you in some way, that alcohol is a wonderful way to do that. So she may have just had her guard down, you know, and energetically, you know, spiritually, and may have had something negative having to do with the result of her choice to, to consume alcohol for whatever reason, you know, life, uh, you know, uh, drives people to do all kinds of silly things. But so it could have been some sort of attachment type of a thing. What do you think about that? I think that's that's certainly a possibility, because if you think just about you or I, if we're having a bad day and we're caught up in our heads and then, you know, we bang our toe and we go, God damn it. And we get all upset. Our whole day could go wrong. And that's not a broken toe or banged up toe. So if you're actually spiraling through addiction or whatever, a kind of, you know, even negative thinking addiction, you vibrate lower. I do think things can, I don't know if it's just lower frequencies, entities, I'm not sure, or a combination of everything. I do think it can happen. What I saw on her face, I've not, I mean, it was, it was a shock to me. It was, it didn't, it scared me. I, I, Rendered speechless here. It was something else. You know, and something that's always fascinating me is the concept of mediumship in general. Like the reason that human beings need to communicate or give advice to souls that have passed on. You know, we think, in my mind, the way I think of this is that you're kind of very bound in this body. And once you're released from this body, you're you're given the oneness, the awareness. You're, you realize that we're all one and you go straight to source or straight to the light, which I want to ask you about because there's some contention on even that idea. But it, in my mind, it's just interesting that the people who have passed on and should be one foot closer to source than we are, we kind of give them a new perception about how to cross over. And also the dead kind of help us, which makes a little bit more sense in my mind. Like, again, my mind thinks, well, they've tapped into this greater source. They've got a, a more awareness. They're, you know, one step out of the physical. So they're not bound by these ideas or restrictions, even cognitively about how to, how to live their lives or anything like that. So they offer us advice, but it's, the interesting part in my mind is how symbiotic that relationship is. It seems that some people who cross over need mediums to help them actually cross over. What do you think is going on with that? 
So when you say help them cross over, what do you mean? It seems like a lot of spirits here are just kind of wandering around and they don't know what to do or they have unfinished business. But it and, you know, the unfinished business thing is a whole nother part of this. It, the, the interesting part in my mind is that they're just wandering around waiting for someone like you to come along and say, hey, I can see you. Hey, I know you're confused. You need to go this way. And they're kind of getting directions from someone in the physical, but they've moved beyond the physical. That's just interesting to me that they need physical things to tell them how to move on spiritually when they're already a spirit. That's interesting. Yes, that's not my specialty. I have, by, I usually say for me, when I connect to those who have crossed over, they've, they've made it to at least one rung up there, for lack of a better word. I don't, I've had people who I've know, noticed and read, they've gone up levels because when I bring them in for family members over the years, I can feel them differently, like, you know, kindergarten versus fourth grade. Those that are kind of stuck here, for lack of a better word, I don't do that work. I don't know if it's I chose not to or I just can't do it. I don't know. But I, I do know what you're saying. And there are ones that are murdered or don't know they're dead or have unfinished business they can't let go. That's and I do believe why wouldn't that be a possibility? All things are really a possibility. That's just not my expertise so i haven't done that i've pushed them up a little bit you know? right. got to do another rung or two no i, yeah, I love it exactly. it's, well it's a great way to articulate it it's just um because again in my mind i'm just sitting here thinking like you've crossed over you've done it you know you're you're dead you've moved on and any unfinished business that you feel like you've had that are attaching your spirit to this physical realm can easily be accomplished in a in a reincarnation event you know like that's just karma that you carry over it's just in my mind interesting because now it's like you have enough things to do here with like paying taxes and you know uh, people driving slow in the left lane let's say just something for instance that's a pain in the ass but then when you cross over, you still kind of have these things to deal with here. It's just you don't have the physical interaction to be able to change them as actionably as you could have in a physical body. So it's interesting. It's almost like you're presented with things that you couldn't get done, air quotes, uh, couldn't get done in this reality with a physical body. So we're going to turn you into a spirit. And then now you have no physical interaction here, but you still, you're still tethered to this physical reality because you have unfinished business in the physical you see what I mean? It's just very, it just blows my mind about this whole damn thing. Well, the whole thing is mind blowing. And I know so many people, um, it's, it's, it's almost a little bit one of my pet peeves that so many people get up and say, this is the way it is. This yeah. is the way it is. Yeah. Um, I always say it's from my experience. And this is my complete vision of what's going to happen when I cross over. I'm going to get up there and there's going to be a guy with a clipboard, like old school, being like, ah, Carla, <laughs> we've been waiting for you. Uh, can you go to that room? And there I'm going to go like a little kid off to some room and they're going to show me everything that I thought I knew that's not right. Because I, I get my earthly perspective through mediumship of what I do, but it's still through the lens of karma. So I just think there's so much more that I simply don't know. So I crack up when people are like, this is the way it is. Um, because I'm not, I, I only see it through my lens, which is an experience lens I'll give you. I, I do think people, I would say I work for them. And I used to think I only worked for my clients until in one of my trainings, someone said, you work for spirit too. So I tell them that they'll say, well, why did they say that? Why are they coming back with that? Because sometimes they come in with healing they need because of things they didn't do well here. 
But I have to work for them because they need to either apologize or at least acknowledge their part in doing something wrong. And then they go, in my opinion, they go up a wrong then if we can get that done. Yes. And and it's also so interesting that if they have unfinished business with their mom and they need to go through you, they need a middleman or a medium, right? A medium to go between um, and that they can't communicate directly in a way that's effective enough for them to get whatever unfinished business they have, like just to say, I'm sorry, or something like that, or, Hey, don't worry about it. Or I forgive you or something because this person in the physical is still attached to that feeling and they can't move on because it's kind of a link kind of a thing. It's the, and, and just like I said, just the whole idea of unfinished business, just that there's something that will anchor you here for a little bit after you've already passed on because it slipped through the cracks in this life like this so it it almost makes me think in these instances that it's that your soul contract if you believe in such a thing that you had a plan to come to this world and to do something kind of had a clause in it or an extension to it to where yeah yeah you fulfilled your soul contract in the physical but there's still more of your soul contract to go and you must do it in the spiritual you got to find carla you got to talk to your mom you know and this is another kind of notch on your belt, I guess, as far as experiencing this earthly plane. It's just weird. There's just so many, so many things I think about when I think about this. Um, and, well, and, and also to the idea that, uh, what was I going to say that like, there's this. So let me ask you this. Have you, to what you said about, um, getting solid answers, this is something I'm very curious about with mediumship and, and people who've crossed over spirit or things like that. It does seem to be that people who say that they talk to spirit and not you, every, everyone does this, you all get different information. So first of all, what do you think about that? That everyone gets different information from spirit as far as what is true for them. But that, but it's information you're saying that is validatable. Um, it doesn't have to be. And, and this actually leads me to a greater question that what's, what is spirit and how, what are the consistencies among spirit, it's, which is something that I, I wanted to talk to you about. But really, I think what I'm asking is, is that whenever you look at spirit as an entity, as the source of everything, he doesn't, whatever it is, doesn't solve the flat earth, round earth debate. You know, it doesn't just go, hey, it's it's round, dummy. You know what I mean? Just, just forget all that other stuff. Forget all these things. The things that are so conflicting here, that f- even for people who talk to spirit, come up with different answers on how to approach it. So even from the higher realms, there doesn't seem to be a consensus reality, right? There doesn't seem to be one way to do things. Or if there is, it's hidden from us. And for whatever reason, do you... So my question is, I guess, do you do you think that there is a consistency across spirit as far as how it communicates to us and what it tells us? So that's where I didn't understand. When you say spirit, you mean the governing spirit. When I say spirit, sometimes I mean dead people, the spirit person. You're talking about the governing even them, larger. Even spirits that have crossed over, like they've crossed over, they've seen the earth from a vantage point that we haven't. So can they just go, oh, by the way, the earth is flat. They've been lying to you the whole time. Or, hey, it's round, so just take your mind off of that. You know what I mean? Something as simple as the <laughs> debate between flat earth and round earth. Which I've totally been reconsidering, by the way, which is very weird. We can we can talk about that if you want. <laughs> I'm yeah. new to it. Um, I I think there are things that people like myself and other you know other people we have a consistency, kind of like a base where we hear. But again, I don't think we're supposed to know everything. I think this is all developmental, and there may be some key points and that actually work, and it's all learning. 
I think it's all about learning and changing and evolving. That's just what I think. I think maybe, you know, in a thousand years, someone else is, you know, some, you and I might have this conversation again and know a lot more than, than what we know now. But spirit, from my experience, dead people, individuals, when I bring them through, I've always felt that they were not allowed, it to, from my experience, to completely tell people everything because they have to learn. As an example, my father had a out-of-body experience while during surgery. Now, I say this all the time. He was nominated for the Nobel Prize. The reason I bring this up, not to brag, but that's how I grew up. So when I say that is I to show you that that's the household I grew up in. For him to have an out-of-body experience, see the surgery, know that it was inoperable, have an experience with God asking him to live or die, I have already lost track of where I was going with this. You're going to have to help me because I just went back to him. Oh, I got it. Thank you. I was going back to reliving that with him. When he had that, he could not speak. He cried and cried. I'd never seen a man cry a day in his life. And I asked him what it was about. And he said to me, it's all so simple. And he said, it's like a sieve. And I took that like a pasta pot, you know, shake things down. And then I said, could you tell me more? And he's saying this crying, which was free because he's sick and he's unhealthy looking and he's crying. So the whole thing was a lot for a 19-year-old. And he said, no, I can't tell you. You have to learn it for yourself. He told me that he couldn't tell me. The only thing he could say was it was all so simple. I did ask if it were, we had very, very born-again Christian relatives. And they were condemning you know, us left and right for not being like them. And I was 19 and a little scared. I said, is it like what they say? He said, no. And that's all he told me. Damn. You know, I, I hear this a lot too, which is super interesting. It's uh, even even people who, like, like you and your mediumship practice, have you come across information for an individual that you were told or ha- even had the intuitive feeling not to tell them yet, like that they couldn't know it yet? Only with that, I think, coming to mind with things that I feel that we can't predict the future entirely. So if I see something that has more of a negative or scary outcome, which I ask not to be told anything unless I can really help a person. But if I really have, especially regarding health, I don't want to know. But I have had situations with health where I, what am I going to tell somebody? Yeah, I really think this is going to spiral for you. And, you know, this is it. I would never do that. I teach ethics and mediumship. You can't do that. So I'm not going to be like, yeah, everything's perfect. But um, I would approach it differently. I have intuitively, when a psychic reading felt that there was more for them to learn, and I might get a simple forecast if possible. I think there's nothing etched in stone, but... And I might imply it and say, well, do X, Y, and Z or try this. And then, you know, after that, things may change. So that does happen, but not a lot for me. Not a lot. Because I really want to help them at the time and and get the job done. (laughs) I know you do. And you're the sweetest. uh, And again, guys, I haven't mentioned that all the ways to find her, of course, will be located down in the the show notes there, your website, uh, your TikTok, which is how I met you. uh, And I just adore you. Every time you're on live, I hop on. Every time, you know, you do something, I watch it. Because it's brilliant. You just cover so many different things with the tarot, with the mediumship. You uh, and I even want to talk to you about spoon bending here in a minute, if you don't mind. So uh, I caught, caught your video on that and I was just 
just blown away by it. Um, so but this idea that, you know, um, one of the things that made me think about to ask you this is because in uh, hypnotic regressions, a lot of times people will... Uh, people will report that are, you know, um, running the hypnotic the session that they'll report that they get to a point with some information that they can't tell the person that they're not meant to know it yet. Or they'll, you know, delete that part or hide that part of the recording from that person because they're not supposed to know it yet. And there's some sort of governance there. There's some sort of diplomacy. But it, it's an interesting thing ethically, like what you were talking about, that that would be the only reason that you would withhold that. But ethics are kind of a subjective thing, right? So it, it is interesting because you have to make the call on whether to tell somebody something or not, whether you feel intuitively that it's going to make them spiral or be beneficial for them. You know, and then this kind of, you know, makes me think about the whole fake news thing, you know, and the people withholding information because it's it doesn't serve an agenda because it, it goes against some narrative that they don't, you know, want people thinking about. But in my mind, again, I'm just like, tell, tell us the information. We'll figure it out for ourselves kind of a thing. Um, but it, it's just interesting that there's sort of this delineation, that there's sort of this governance, you know, with the information that's been given out. I try to give as much as I can. I don't withhold like, but then I ask spirit, don't tell me anything really um, because I want to be as open, but when you're in a profession like mine, um, you have to be careful because you don't know the mental state. It's not like a therapist who sees somebody every week. So, yes, I'm in a company and yes, I'm insured. And I did all this. I don't just get up and do this. But still, I am. What if somebody gets off the phone with me or off of a Zoom and something dramatic happens because they will. I'm even writing a book with a colleague often take what I'm saying and either A, I wasn't clear and I thought I was and that can happen. Or B, I could simply say, yeah, I, I'm not crazy about uh, your boyfriend. And they get off of the call. And I kid you not, they're like, oh, my God, he's cheating on me. She said he was horrible. And I didn't say any of that. And the way it's perceived. So it's such a cautious, fine line, I believe, in doing any read. That's why I like mediumship, because it's validating. If I say to you, I've got a man here named, you know, Giuseppe, but he really went by Carl. I mean, how do you make that up? He's here and he said he played Monopoly every single Sunday at three o'clock. That's not debatable. So and it's not going to take someone over the edge, but it's really rock solid foundation of stuff I couldn't know. Or psychic with the contracts, I think that there's some malleability. Is that the word? It's malleable. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's a great point that you bring up, too, because it's it's all part of someone's story. So w however they react, it's just the information that they needed to feel the way that they needed to feel to move to their next you know, signpost or whatever. And so when you think about, again, on this grand scale of divine timing and all of those things, no matter what you told them, it was going to be perceived in a certain way to be their highest benefit, which not always is pleasant. You know, it's and I love that you say this. I tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And I think that that's that's perfect. That's that's a wonderful way to approach it because you kind of you know there are a lot of people out there that will not do what you do there are a lot of people that say that they do what you do not like you that are unaltruistic and they have these you know um you know the readings are kind of all the same and i, I take a look at a lot of this i'm very fascinated with the tarot with astrology with mediumship with everything I, i'm not a contact or contacting your experience or myself that i know of uh, i don't have the same perception of reality that you do but i'm absolutely fascinated by it and it's so interesting to me um but there are some folks out there who seem to take the approach like oh it's all going to work out and it's right around the corner and then just in two weeks and so you get this like false 
you know, hope kind of a thing. And you just kind of string people along constantly until they figure it out. And then now it's part of their story, right? It's just interesting how many facets that this takes, even with the supernatural or mediumship type of a thing. It's that there's uh, still some context to it that's only specific to that individual, kind of like near-death experiences. 99.9% of people that have them come back and say they were wonderful. There's a small percentage of people that have a really hard time with it, but you know, that may have been necessary for them to learn the things that they needed to learn here. It's part of their evolutionary process, you know, as a soul. When they come back, they kind of are jarred into this different experience and it changes their life completely. It's it's just wild to me, Carla. Uh, okay, so um, I wanted to ask you, let's let's talk about the spoon bending because I thought that that was so damn cool. So tell, tell us about that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was hard because I'm actually looking at my handwritten notes from other classes now from years ago. You know, spoon bending, you know, you think is a parlor trick. Anybody can bend a spoon. It's, it's fake. So I had learned about this gentleman who went to Yale, who was a PhD, who was, and I was like, right away, that impressed me because it is impressive. If you're going to spoon bend and talk to Arcturians and the Pleiades and whatnot, I'm going to go to your class. And I did it twice. And he had these you know, forks and spoons that were hard to bend because I, on my video I did, I collapsed an easy one. These were hard to bend. And he taught us about six different techniques of how everything's energy and you put your mind, but without the attachment of your energy and body. Because if you focus like spoon bend, spoon bend or fork bend and you try it within, you think you're being powerful, but your humanness, for lack of a better word, is getting into it and you can't do it. Now, I did go into the first class pretty I can do this. I'm a medium. You know, I'm, my energy is higher than some people. So this spoon bending thing, if it's real, I'm going to be able to do. My friend next to me collapsed it in seconds. I was like, I, it, maybe that class had 10 or 12 people. I was toward the latter part of the group to collapse it at all. And the only way that I could do it the first time was not hold it. He had people hold it and say spoon bend after we got in this collective energy. Then they could bend it. Nope, nothing. He was actually watching me because I couldn't do it. But when I placed it out on the floor away from me and he had the collective energy go into the, sp uh, the spoon or if it was a fork. And then I just, without even thinking, picked it up and you hit in spoon bending, you hit one slight pressure, slight, and then it just collapses like this. Now, as soon as that happened, my Carla came in and I couldn't bend the tines because I was like, oh, I bet the spoon. And I went to roll up and I couldn't. I watched a woman and I am not, I, I'm short. I'm not a large person. She was tinier than me, rolling up the tines and spinning them. I was stunned. It is a real thing. Is it limited only to uh, difficult to bend spoons and forks or could he do it with like a piece of rebar or something? We talked about that too. He said it was possible to do with literally anything, like huge pieces, like of construction building things. Now, we obviously weren't doing it and he was speaking from his own knowledge, but his knowledge was very vast. And he was like, in theory, you should be able to do with any large, I mean, like mammoth, large pieces of metal, you know, whether people are doing it or not, or people are doing it and they're not telling us they're doing it or it's possible. I mean, you know, you've got Ori Geller that, you know, people have shot down for years. I'm, I'm telling you, I absolutely think that he's real. I think they had to debunk him because if you had a powerhouse like that, would you want to be bragging about it? Whether everything he does is real, who knows? But if I can bend a spoon, and at the time, my like eight-year-old son, I got to bend it, then why, why couldn't he? You know? 
I, I agree with you on Yuri Geller and his connection to um, like the CIA or like um, uh, information sources like that, like a high up, you know, real uh, scary um, kind of agencies or whatever. That's kind of what some people point to with this is that they're like, yeah, he was embedded in the CIA. I mean, it was all fake, but I agree with you. I think that the CIA paid so much attention to it um, because there was something to it and because there was something crazy to it. You you think of, you know, because he was in that whole gaggle with um, the remote view crew, you know, the Pat Price and, and all those guys. And so it's just very interesting to me that these physical feats, yes, and then they'll come out and debunk the hell out of them. But it's it, it's so that the people who aren't paying attention and don't need any more information other than that, just stop asking questions. And then they'll kind of point to that as a debunk, you know, um, false flag type information. And, and they'll just go with that rather than, you know, entertaining the possibilities or even just looking at it a little bit further like you did. And I, I completely agree with this. You know, this also makes me think of that um, chi or prana, like the hand of fire. Have you ever seen those uh, handprints in the stone? Yep. And somebody put their hand through it. I just can't remember who it was that put their hand through the stone and back. Somebody who's, I think, long ago, but someone living too. I can't remember his name. That's crazy. I will have to look this up. That's a thing. Fascinating. Because everything is energy, right? And the law of conservation will state you can't kill energy. You can only manipulate it. So it does make sense. Growing up, my parents knew somebody who were sir and lady somebody. I remember their last name. I'm just not saying it. They were from some other country. And they were literally sir and lady so-and-so. And she could move a glass, allegedly, across a table. And now, these are not people you would think could actually. I mean, if you're a sir and a lady, are you moving glasses? I mean, this isn't a carnival. They came from, I guess they were probably from the UK, out of the country. They stayed at our home. They waited till I went to bed because I was little. And my father, the scientist, asked to watch the glass move across our dining room table. And my father swore to the day he died, he had no explanation. She would break out in a sweat, but she could move the glass like this far across our glass that he gave her out of our china cabinet, which I'm looking at, and put it on our dining room table. And she moved it. And from a science standpoint, my father was fascinated. But I wanted to see it as a little kid. They wouldn't do it in front of me. I, I, I don't think that's that crazy. No, but that's that's really interesting. So did this just and and this didn't send your father into some sort of new scientific explanation because with scientists, usually you find something that's anomalous and you just have to get to the bottom of it. At that point, he was no he was now running a copper company. My father was 50 when I was born. So I was the second marriage child. So he had already done that whole Nobel Prize thing with his first wife and kids. And I by now he was already doing something else in the metals industry and geology. But he found it. And he's the one with the near-death experience. So he did always question and wonder. But um, And if he did anything more with that, I don't know. Because, again, I was a kid and they didn't let me see. <laughs> so interesting. And you also had a near-death experience shared with your mother at three years old. Isn't that right? Do you mind telling us about that? I had a share three years ago. Shared, which I didn't know existed, a shared near-death experience when my mother died. Now, this is very odd because I, as a medium, I did not know there was something called a shared near-death experience until you look it up now. It's a thing. So my mother was dying, literally dying. And I had gone home, rested, gone back to the hospital. My husband waited there. And I did what people do, crawled in bed with her like glue. And, you know, I'm sure that bothered her because we weren't like that. <laughs> and I was right up against her. And I go to bed at like two or three in the morning. Every night, that's me. I'm a night owl. It, it's just too much. It was 11 o'clock. 
And I'm lying with her. We're counting her breaths like people obsessively do when someone's dying, don't know why. And out of nowhere, I fell asleep. And my husband was stunned. I was half off the bed. I wasn't comfortable. And he looked at me. Apparently, he watched me the whole time. And I fell right asleep. During that sleep, my mother and I felt, I call it the fray. My mother and I were at this fray of this big field. Grass was very green. It was very calm and very open. And she was in front of me. And she kept walking and leaving me behind. And she got younger and younger and younger. And I remember being very earthly going, well, she's not saying goodbye to me. Where is she going? Like, I was sad that my mother was like becoming younger and probably leaving me and refused to say goodbye. (laughs) And as she got to about 20, I woke up. And my husband looked at me like, this is the weirdest thing. How did you just fall asleep? I said, she's dead. He said, no, her breaths are two minutes apart. She's not dead, though. And I realized now she was only 20 when she when I woke up. So she hadn't gone to the end. And I came back and I, she died the next morning. It seemed longer than that when I was in the fray, I'm sparing you on time. But it was it was like that field that I talk about. And she was just ready to go, relaxed and wanted no part of what was behind her. And I was there and then boom, I was back in um, the hospital room. Was anyone else there besides you two? Was she walking towards anyone or was there anything that she was walking to or just the open field of grass? The open field. But I could feel as Carla that I was at the very fray of something and that when she got way farther down, there was something much bigger. But it was almost like that field you look out at and you just don't see the end. That's what it felt and looked like. Calm, very calm. You know, the, this idea of this in-between or this uh, spot, because you had access to it, um, you were there, you know, uh, cognitively. Now, when you came back, did you and your mom talk about it the next day or anything? No, or, she... Where you weren't able to speak with her no, before No, she, she was still breathing at two minutes apart. I mean, she was dying. It just It's almost like it prolonged her death. I don't understand why she didn't die right then. She died at like one... That was 11, 11.30, and she didn't die till about one the next day. She fought death. There's a whole entire experience that was bad there. But yeah. Do, do you mind uh, sharing that with us? or I can share it. I have no problem sharing it. It's pretty extreme. Are you prepared? Uh, I <laughs> am, yes. So I we'll prepare the audience. Are. Yes. Or you can get rid of it. <laughs> All right. True story. Again, witnesses. Thank God I have witnesses or else people would think I was a bona fide crackpot. My mother broke her hip and, you know, a typical story, the nursing home killed her. But I noticed when she was supposed to be in rehab for two weeks, three weeks, that her face took on that look almost like my friend that died. And I used to jokingly say, she looks like the exorcist. I never put two and two together. I was just saying, I don't know who that is. I, I wrote it off to medication that she didn't need they were giving her. I wrote it off to everything logical and I fought for her. Fast forward, she gets into the hospital because they don't know what's wrong with her because of all the drugs they gave her and we're killing her. And every time I walked in the room, she almost growled at me. Like I took it as she was mad that I put her there and she didn't want to be there and all of this. The nurses started saying she doesn't like her daughter. Every time her daughter walks in, she doesn't like her. Then, of course, because it was local, everybody knows what I do for a living. So you had a lot of people of religious beliefs and ethnicities that thought I was bad. So they didn't even want it was hard. It was a really bad, tough time for me, but it was weird energy. The palliative care, and I say this, Dr. Blah, 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 MD, 
sits me down. I tell her the story of my mother. I start crying a little. She started crying. I made an impact. She came to me a day later and said, I feel your mother, she says, actually, does your mother have anything like to repent or some other word or anything she could be holding on to? I said, my mother is the biggest nerd I know, not that I know of. I said, honestly, it, she's like actually uncool. I, 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 I don't know. She said, I'd like to say this, I swear. And there was an aide at the hospital who heard it. I'm all about the witnesses. She said, I feel your mother has negative energies attached to her. Now, I almost fell over. I said, what? And she said, yeah, and nursing homes and rehabs, the energy is very low. And I actually looked back to see the MD on her jacket. She said, and what I'm looking at um, doesn't look human to me. Now, I am now about to fall over. Like, my mom is dying. I'm an only child. There's my family. I'm like, what? And I saw this aide hearing it. She spread that around the whole hospital. So she said to me, would you, I swear, would you mind if I prayed over her? This is an MD at a hospital. I said, okay, we go into the room. There's a woman in the bed near her. There's a um, curtain up. The doctor lays hands on my mother. So I'm like a movie. I'm like, I guess I'll do it too. And I put my hands on my mom. And thank goodness I went to Catholic school, even though we were not Catholic. So I knew these prayers from when I was young. So she did the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, and then a bunch of stuff I didn't know. And she actually, at one point, used the word Satan and said that she cast Satan out of her. I was like, now I know she was a Catholic because I know she told me what church she went to. This wasn't like the Midwest relatives. And she then toned it down and asked for the negative energies to leave my mother. I thought I was living, who would believe this story? Except there were witnesses, the woman in the bed, and then her daughter ran out of the room. When she heard this, weirdly, the daughter coincidentally was from our town. My husband knew her. I learned later she was a Baptist minister. Now I'm a little annoyed she didn't jump in and yeah. join the team. Yeah. But I just thought she was, it scared the hell out of her. And she prayed over my mother and she asked us to get the last rites or the, um, now it's called something else, the last rites. So I went to my mother-in-law, big Catholic. We got the priest to come in. We did the anointing of the sick. We did that. And by the next day, my mother was calm, stood up, walked around, which is what happens when you get the anointing of the sick sometimes. And the next day she turned, her face went back into that negative, weird thing. The doctor, and then I had, a, it was a Palm Sunday. There was a minister, he called him in, a nun, I called them in. I'm like, can you say some prayers? Like I was doing everything. And the next day when she was dying, the doctor came in and said, didn't you do the last row, the, the anointing of the sick? I said, I did it. Yes. And you could see she looked perplexed like she saw something. Now, my husband was standing there at this point. So he saw this. And I'm like, oh, no, she sees something. She goes, do you mind if I pray over her again? I was like, oh, my God. So she did, but not as heavily. And then she was drugged and then passed. But that is the experience I rarely tell, but I have no problem telling it because that happened to me. And I have no explanation. I don't even delve in that world. I don't know. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And it, yeah, it is interesting. You you hear a lot of these doctors, these professional doctors, <clears throat> excuse me, that have been doing this for a really long time. They, they have some insight at these nursing home or these hospice facilities. Uh, I know a, a hospice nurse personally, and same thing. She's like, oh, yeah, I can tell within two minutes when someone's going to die. <clears throat> or she's like, oh, I can, um, you know, I knew that this person was changing and something came in. And so I looked 
that. But these are, like you said, doctors, but they're dipping in the spiritual and the religious. Now, I'm curious about this negative entity attachment. I know you, you've already told us here that you don't you don't uh, dive into that world. What's going on with that? Why? Why are there things that can attach to us that we need other people who can see them, not us, but other people to come in and clear? Like, how is that part of our experience here? Well, I think when we are low and compromised, like we talked about earlier, whether it's drugs, alcohol, negative thinking, or a person who's being abused at a a home, you're vulnerable. So you yourself are not able to get out of it. You can't do it, right? I mean, you know, we can't see the forest through the trees. So then we do need other people to come in um, to help us. I feel um, it does. I don't even know looking at that doctor's face when she said, didn't you get the anointing of the sick? I'm like, great. That didn't work. My, my the most uncool mother in the world. And now you're telling me something bad's happening. to her. Like, yeah. I actually have the woman's phone number, her cell phone number. It's been three years, the doctor. And I've often wanted to reach out to her because I'm sure she didn't forget that. Um, but I've been kind of nervous, but I, I may sometime. Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious on a follow up on that just to kind of see and even doing the last rites, like something that, you know, you stepped in and, and people participated in. Even that wasn't enough. Now, do you think that this is just because her vibe was just so low? She was basically just like a putty for any entity that wanted to come in. I think that the the last rites, uh, my mother was not a practicing Catholic, I'll add, but I was getting everybody in there. Um, she did perk up the next day. Um, They all said to me, we have no idea. And this is what also aided to the doctor. They gave her enough morphine and I quote to take down a horse and it didn't budge my mother who weighed 75 pounds. So to me, that is supernatural in itself. And how did that even happen? Uh, So to answer your question, I think it did help her. But then she was either too weak or it's her time to go or a combination and she passed because no doctor could tell me what she died of, what went wrong with her, nothing. They couldn't. They were, I have no, you know, heart failure, I think they put. I mean, they just didn't know. Yeah. It's it's just so interesting. I mean, like I said, just this whole thing, and you're you're wonderful at talking to about this. So thank you. You're br- just bringing up all these questions that I haven't gotten to ask anybody else. So thank you. I you know so I'm curious about this go to the light thing. Have you heard about the Archon Soul Trap and that you know it's all a a, a like you shouldn't go to the light. Like that's bad advice. You know, um, this is just a concept that I've heard of that basically like the when you tell someone to go to the light, that light is basically like a reincarnation trap. And that's how these archons or reptilians or however you want to put it, kind of uh, anchor our souls here. And that really you're supposed to turn off or not go to the light. Rather, have you heard anything like this? Just sprinklings of it. And probably within the past year or so. Um, I have heard that the light could be a trap, you know, a scam, <laughs> the scam light. Uh, there's so many near-death experiences, as you said, all cultures all around the world, and they see the light and they go in and they do not have a problem <laughs> and it's not fake. So I, and again, I'm pretty open to anything's possible. So sure, could there be a, a scam charade go on and try to trick us? Sure. But as of now, I'm sticking with the 95% that find that it's a good thing until, you know, I hope it is. 
And I tend to subscribe uh, to that as well. I, I hope that that's what it is, just like you. Uh, because, yeah, it's interesting. You died, you just went through this, hopefully not a traumatic death, but if you went through something traumatic and then now you're dead, you're on the other side, and now you're like, oh, cool, the only point of light I can see, I've always been told and heard, hey, go to the light, go to the light. And then you go there and then you get reincarnated as some, you know, buddy that lives in India in the 1500s. You're like, what the hell, man? Is this source? Like, what's going on here with this? Uh, yeah, it's like one more thing. It's like one more little gotcha, you know, from from this plane of existence or whatever. And so it's amazing that we can be the idea that we can be bamboozled even in death. That, that bothers me, you know, that you don't yeah, just have this instant awareness. That is the bamboozled of death. That, that is a, um, that is a whole nother Avenue. Yeah. I hope that's not true, but again, almost anything's possible. Let's just hope it's not the majority of the situations. Uh, I, I agree with you. And I, I share that uh, desire with you as well. So let me ask you this. What, what the hell do you think's going on here? What do you think this place is? What do you think human experience is all about? Like, what are we doing? Well, I, I'm obviously always um, evolving in that. So, you know, 20 years ago, I might have had a hard, fast explanation for that for you. But what I'm learning now is there's a lot more possibilities than we thought. Okay, I do believe we're here to grow and expand. I do. Um, I could be wrong. But why else? I mean, it seems like a logical explanation for me um, that we are here to grow and expand and experience different things. Now, with the multiple like the changing of the timelines, like we talked about, or the parallel universes and things like that. No pun intended. That offers a whole other dimension to what this is. But I think it comes down to evolution and expanding. I do. I, I just do. I, and I'm very much now going into this timeline thing and more of the different levels of existence, 5D, 60, 70, you know, 80. I'm trying to learn about all that because I always say talking to dead people and, and, and I know they're not dead. People argue and be like, they're not dead. I know they're not dead. Okay. I'm talking about the human existence of we, this is dead. But I have said for years that I almost find it simple. I love it. I adore it. It fuels me, but I think it's just the like basic compared to everything else that there is. I don't think, I think that's almost like kindergarten or first grade and I'm not knocking it. I, I, I thrive on doing it. I just think there's so much more expansion. There just is. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This is something I feel as well, that this is just sort of a learning place, you know, and that maybe duality only exists in this place because it's necessary for this experience. And this is how you, you know, kind of sharpen your discernment. And so just like you said, on the other side, you're taken into a room where you're shown all the things that were true that you thought were not or, or vice versa. It basically just cleans, clears up the idea for you. And then you come here and you forget again, right? So, you know, as the idea goes... It's, it's interesting to me, though, this, uh, this whole human experience, and then especially when we're talking about now talking to dead people, we're bringing them into the conversation, uh, and they don't really you know, have much insight to ask from us or offer to us. They really ask us for stuff like, hey, help me you know, give my mom this key that was fell under her bed that she can't find, you know, and then I can cross over. It's just this, the, the whole concept of it is just fascinating to me, and this is what makes it so deep and convoluted in my mind is that there's just so many things to this. I, I, I heard a, sh a story of a shared death experience between three people and they all, you know, basically died at the same exact time. They all came back. Uh, but each one of them had a completely different experience. Like all of it was fine and pleasant and whatever, but they were met with different entities, some with the family members, some with Buddha and another with, um, I think angels and stuff, but they were met with different things on the other side. They each had a different environment that they were in. They were not with each other, but they all experienced some sort 
sort of near-death experience after you know they passed and they came back to talk about it. And then they were kind of comparing stories and that's when they didn't add up or that's when they didn't syncopate. And so like this is fascinating to me, like how you have different experiences, even though you experienced the same like car wreck or something and all of you died for a little bit and then were brought back. What do you think is going on with that? I think it makes sense that they'd have a different experience because you're going in as a different energy. So it, it almost makes more sense to me that it would be a common thread that maybe they saw the light or they, the common thread is they saw people, but different people. I think it makes total sense that that's what happens. Because kind of like what we what we say with the uh, uh, non-human intelligences as well, it's kind of they they show up as what you expect them to show up like. Like if you expect to see little grays, that's what you see. If you if you think that they're demons and angels and all that kind of stuff, that's how they present themselves to you. And this again, in my mind, it kind of uh, shows the customability of this experience. And really, it calls even further into question that we're all even having the same experience of reality, that we even are in the same place, like this consensus reality idea. And especially whenever you cross over, that's when it's most evident is kind of these experiences like what we were talking about here. Because if you're having them here right now, we don't know that someone else is having a different experience, even though we're in the same place. We wouldn't necessarily know that. That's something I've been thinking about lately, too. That's, so That's what's so damn trippy about this. You know, the six and the nine thing. You know, we've seen the two, the cartoon of the two people and a six is drawn in front of one and nine in front of the right. other. They're right. both correct, but they're seeing completely different things from their point of view, from their perspective. That is accurate. They're what they're articulating. Uh, and so, yes, this this is fascinating. But like you, I agree. You know, in my mind, again, I'm just kind of looking at this going, hey, there's some consistency here. Now, you pointed out the consistencies that they were met with entities. They just appeared, you know, in a different form to each person. Uh, and so, you know, there is some consistencies, but the fact that they're not like identical, like when you, you know, send somebody over to uh, get their transmission fixed, you go see the same guy. You're like, hey, go see Brian over there. He can definitely... Hook, your, hook you up with your car there and you walk in and it's the same person standing in front of you in this physical reality. It's not Buddha one time and not, you know, an angel the next. It's we, you know, see this Brian as the same person in this place. But on the other side, meeting entities, even though they have similar information, they appear physically different. It's it's just very interesting. Uh, it's Again, it's, it's part of this whole mystery. Yeah, it's a fascinating mystery. It's true. It's kind of like when you tell someone, and I use this example all the time, go into Walmart, buy a pair of socks. They go into Walmart, they buy a pair of socks, and you say to them, did they have um, orange juice on sale? They will have no idea. They'll, they have no concept of it's a no, because you didn't look, you didn't click into it. But doesn't mean the orange juice wasn't on sale. Send somebody else in to buy a skirt, the same thing happens. A pair of shoes, the same thing happens. We are like this and missing a bunch of stuff. Doesn't mean it's not there. Oh, that is an awesome metaphor for this. You've just really kind of cleared it up. It makes so much more sense when you put it that way, because, yeah, the experience they're having is very focused for them. They're not looking around at stuff. They're just freaked out that a giant Buddha is in front of them. So they're not looking around to make sure their buddy sees Buddha, too. They're just going, ah, and they're just in this moment and wrapped up in it. So, yes, they wouldn't see anything. The orange juice is on sale. That's a perfect analogy for this. It's, It's a wonderful way to articulate it. Huh. I, I dig it. Um, you know what? I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's do another one and then I'll let you run for this one. This has been fascinating. Like, of course you and I still have so much more to talk about. I just need to process some of this. So, um, I wanted to ask you about, 
So commonalities among spirit, that's, that's something that I meant to ask you about. And I just kind of wanted to come back to that. So what do you think there are there number one commonalities? And if so, what are they? Okay. So let me clarify. Spirit is in the global governing figure or what I bring through dead people. Um, let's do global governing figure first, but I definitely want to know your opinion on both. I think one of the commonalities for the most part, I, at least I'd like to believe that it's all good. And there's just constant learning that's supposed to happen and that we are living in an energetic field and we have more control over, if you will, the word control over what we can create and how we create it. We've got those seeds of uh, the the sole contract. Um, But again, that's malleable to me because real contracts, you can have an addendum, you can add a codicil, you can add stuff. So I don't think it's etched in stone, but I think there is, it's all about the learning. I mean, I hate to be so simple, but learning and then learning that we have more power than we think we have so much more power. And we're so locked in our heads. I mean, I, I don't, I'm very accepting of whatever people think and I just move on. But the fact that people think we're, you know, we're born and we die and this is just some big bang thing that just happened to happen. I mean, if you just put the, your hands up, you feel that energy, you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. I mean, I don't know, I think we're just more powerful than we are. So that's what, to me one of the governing things that we can create more reality than we believe we can. And everything's not all beautiful and perfect because we have to learn. But I think we can twist it a bit and it could work in our favor and we can be more positive and get more of what we want. I like that. That's my favorite idea about this place as well. I agree with you that it's good. And uh, it's just, you know, lessons are tough, you know, they're hard to learn. And so it's perceived as bad or evil. And I'm, I'm not a subscriber to that evil exists. I think it, it's perceived that way because it kind of sucks, you know, or the things that we need to learn in the way we need to learn it kind of suck. So what about on the um, spirits that you deal with directly, kind of the dead people, you know, any commonalities between them? Yeah, I feel that um, from my experience, I always say to my clients, I'm here to give you things you cannot guess Google or surmise to prove that I've connected to them. Because how would I know? And as I gave you examples earlier, how would I know that? I believe they're here to prove, con- meaning here, to prove continuity of life. I get a lot of that now, especially in the past year or two. So they are able to let you know you just put in a new window. I find that. I'll be reading someone and I'll say, who took their hand and abruptly moved the picture? And they'll be like, I just did that. And meanwhile, I was on the phone with them and I couldn't see it. I get things like that all the time now. I believe that spirit wants us to know we're not dead. We're doing our thing, but we're loving you just without this form. And I do think we meet up again. I really believe that. Um, again, I could be wrong and take it into that room and you know, be like, oh, Carly, you were wrong. But I think that they're here to let you know we don't die. We're just not who we were. We're learning. And you can connect to us in just a different way. That's what I think. It's absolutely beautiful. You're just so cool. Thank you so much, Carla. This has been amazing. Carla Blaha and all the ways to find you are going to be, of course, located down in the show notes. You you have an open invite anytime you want to come back, of course. And I will, of course, have many more long-winded questions for you uh, in just a fury of confusion to just find out more answers next time we talk for sure. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I love your show. You're a great guy. Very easy to talk to. Thank you so much. 
Wanted to send a huge hug and a massive shout out to Carla for hanging out with us on the show. All of the ways to find her, guys, are going to be located down in the show notes. So make sure that you guys check that out so that you can ex- further explore all of her work, who she is. We just barely scratched the surface on all of the amazing things that she's not only capable of, but talks about on her other platforms. So definitely utilize those links down there and go find her because she's awesome. Uh, while you're down there, guys, check out our resource links. Uh, not going to go over them. They're down there. So check them out if you feel called to do that. Uh, but definitely check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. There are some big changes going on with the show that I'd love for you guys to follow us with and be a part of. So definitely check that website link out for more details on that coming soon. It's not up there yet, but it's coming soon. Uh, while you guys are doing that, move on out into this beautiful place, whatever the hell this thing is. Y'all pick up a piece of litter while you're doing that. Be nice to everybody that you come across. Uh, go ahead and buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal if that's something that you feel called to do. Um, and if nothing else, get out of the left-hand lane. If you got somebody behind you wanting to pass, that's a great way to raise the vibe on this place. And as always, guys, go out into this beautiful, beautiful realm, planet, whatever the hell you want to call it. And y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening and watching. See you next time.